We tend to have this mistaken idea of where happiness comes from. We think it comes when you check all the boxes that society told you to check. You know, you got the good education and the good job and you get a good salary and you met the right partner and you have a couple of good kids. And Eureka, you're supposed to be happy. And that's when millions of people in the pandemic looked at their lives and said, gee, I'm really not happy. And what we don't understand is that happiness can be taught just like every other skill. That's Rob Dubin, an entrepreneur who created multiple seven-figure businesses. At age 42, Rob and his wife moved onto a 40-foot sailboat to spend the next 17 years sailing around the world, studying, guess what? Happiness. Rob combines lessons learned sailing with the science of happiness to teach courses that increase engagement, reduce resignations, and end quiet quitting. You're listening to the Dear Human Resources podcast show. I'm your host, Marilyn Germain. In this episode, we are going to talk about why work-life balance does not make any sense and about employee happiness. Welcome to the show, Rob. Well, thank you so much for having me. So, Rob, you have a, a thought-provoking stance on work-life balance, right? It really runs countercurrent. You say that work-life balance does not make any sense. Can you tell us why? Well, it really doesn't exist is the problem. There is no such thing. You can't do something for eight hours a day, 40 or 50 hours a week, and put it in a box and call it work and have it be separate from your life. It's a third of your life. So what we really need to be talking about is life balance. Life needs to be in balance. And just like you need enough sleep, you need a certain amount of work, but you can't have too much or one or the other. So we really need to focus on life balance. I see. So it does not exist. That's your point. Yeah, well, you can't, like I say, you can't do something for a third of your life and put it in a box and have it be separate from your life. And we all know that if we uh, have a difficult time at home and with our family in the morning, we, we take those feelings to work with us. We have a terrible day at work or a good day at work, and we take that home with us. So our lives don't exist in two separate boxes. We're one human being, and we just need a balanced life. And one of the... Uh, key problems that comes from trying to identify work and life as separately as people got overworked and overworked and employers demanded more we've now got this new meme of quiet quitting which is one little part of quiet quitting is a good thing and the good part is that people have put a limit on what they're willing to do they've set some boundaries they've said i'm not going to answer emails on saturday night i'm not going to be available to you on a sunday and that part of it is good but the rest of quiet quitting is a lose-lose proposition. Certainly the employer loses because the employee is doing less, but the employee also loses. And this gets to the work-life balance point because when your life is balanced, your work is probably giving you a lot of what you need in purpose and meaning in your life. For most of us, we do jobs that we have some passion for, or it gives our life purpose and meaning. And if you do the quiet quitting and you cut that purpose and meaning out, you're hurting yourself too. Because now you might have part of your life that you're just not getting satisfaction from and you've hurt yourself. So that's why I say it's all life and it needs to be in balance. 
So you have a particular interest in employee happiness. So, Rob, what does that mean to be a happy employee? I've always personally had an interest in happiness. I've always chose happiness. I chose a career that was going to make me happy, regardless of whether it was financially a good idea or anything else. And so all of my life, I've chosen happiness. Uh, you mentioned that my wife and I, when I was 42, we retired and bought a sailboat and sailed around the world. That was a choice of happiness. I was in the prime of my filmmaking career. I had worked for years and years to be credible and competent and have good connections to allow me to do good film work. And I walked away from that choosing happiness. So I've always focused on happiness. But when I had a business that was uh, smallish, we had a little bit of a revolving door because I wasn't the best boss because I was not focused on my employees' happiness. And my younger brother is a tremendous entrepreneur. He had hundreds and hundreds of employees. And one day he kind of sat me down and gave me a little talking to and made me focus on my employees' happiness, which was, I won't say it hit me on the head like a two by four, but it was a new focus for me. But I knew a lot about happiness. So once I started focusing on the importance of it, we turned our situation around from a revolving door to zero turnover. You say you focused on happiness. What did you do specifically? Well, I focused on making sure that my employees were happy and not just happy like if an organization uses, say, the Gallup Q12 survey, every question on that survey is some version of how can we make you happier at work? And if you listen to all the people that resigned during the pandemic, when they were on TV and the term the great resignation was first coined and all the news programs were interviewing these people, they all said, during the pandemic, I had a chance to re-examine my life. They didn't say I examined my work. They said I re-examined my life and I found out I wasn't happy and I realized how unhappy I was. And so that's again saying there's no difference. There's, there's a, a life balance. There's not two separate boxes. And people were examining their lives during the pandemic and they were very, very unhappy. 40% of the workforce said they were thinking of leaving their jobs. So that's why I say we need to focus on the whole person. And John Clifton, the uh, CEO of Gallup, recently came out with a book called blind spot about the worldwide epidemic of unhappiness and i had a conversation with him on linkedin afterwards and i said john you have a tremendous ability to change this because if employers change the gallup q12 from asking how can we make you happier at work to just asking how can we make you happy the whole block would be changed. The whole world would change. So that's where I think we need to focus. And I was uh, speaking at an HR conference last uh, a week ago, and I gave a keynote address. And afterwards, somebody closer to my age, which is uh, in my 60s, came up to me and I had said, you need to focus on this with your employees. And he came up and he said, you mean I can't, I have to worry not just about making my employees happy at work, but happy at home. And this was something he didn't want to tackle. And I said to him, no, you don't need to do that. They can leave you and get that from their next employer. And you can focus on recruitment instead of retention. That's sort of the question before HR people. We know it. I mean, Another person at the same conference said, I'm so over it. I'm so tired of hearing about the great resignation. 
Well, I'm sure we're all tired of it, but it hasn't left. It was actually worse in 2022 after the pandemic was over than it was in 2021. And so far in 2023, the numbers are the same. They, we've gone down a little tiny smidgen, but for the most part, we're having as much resignation as we've had for two years now. So if you don't want to spend money on recruitment, which is twice as expensive, you should be making your employees happy. That's right. So a recent article by the World Population Review indicates that the happiest country in the world is Finland. So what about America? Do you think American employees are happy in general? Oh, no, we're way, way down the list. We're way, we're so far down. I think there's probably 30 or 40 countries that are happier than the United States, maybe more. I looked at that same survey. I can't remember where we ranked, but we're not even close to near the top. So why do you think American employees are not happy? Well, we work way more hours of the week than most, certainly uh, European countries, we know that. And we're all stressed, no matter how much money you make or literally how financially secure you are, you could still be bankrupt from one medical emergency. And so we know people don't want to change jobs because they're worried about their health care. That's a big thing. So they stay in jobs that they're not happy in. So there's one contributor. And then the other contributor is that as our economy continues to grow, we know that people don't leave jobs, they leave managers. So the economy grows. You take somebody who was a good performer in XYZ task, and now they're a manager, and it's a completely different skill set. So we haven't done nearly enough for management training. And one of the things that I talk about is how you can make your employees happier at work and at home is teaching the skills of happiness. So we tend to have this mistaken idea of where happiness comes from. We think it comes when you check all the boxes that society told you to check you know you got the good education and the good job and you get a good salary and you met the right partner and you have a couple of good kids and eureka you're supposed to be happy and that's when millions of people in the pandemic looked at their lives and said gee i'm really not happy and what we don't understand is that happiness can be taught just like every other skill if you wanted to learn to play piano you would first make the decision okay i want to learn to play piano just like the same way you can make a decision, I want to learn to be happier. And then you would take some lessons in piano or watch YouTube videos or learn some of the skills. And then you would practice those skills. And we can teach happiness exactly the same way. So that's what I try and do when I go into an organization is I actually try and teach the employees and their managers the skills of happiness. And then the many efforts that HR departments are doing with additional benefits and the, you know, training the managers to deal with people better, all of those things, the return on investment of those efforts is much improved because people are literally better at being happy. So you talked about a lot of things here. You talked about the role of HR somewhat, and you talked about teaching employees how to be happy. So I want to talk about both. What do you think specifically the role of HR is and what skills could you learn to be a happy employee? It's a sort of a twofold answer there. Obviously, the brunt of the great resignation has fallen heaviest on HR people. So the entire pandemic 
fell on the healthcare workers and frontline workers in grocery stores and other industries, and then on the HR departments, because they're the ones that are overworked and overworked trying to fill all these talent slots. And so they can help themselves by bringing in training to make the managers better and bringing in some kind of happiness training for both managers and employees so that turnover is less. That will help them do their jobs better. So that's one side of it. The other thing that I think is happening, and I I don't know if you're talking about this in what you teach, but I believe that there's an opportunity for HR people right now that has not existed for 50 years. I think it's a maybe once in a generation opportunity because as a entrepreneur myself, I looked at HR the way most corporations, I wasn't a corporation, but I look at it the way most executives look at HR and it's sort of a sunk cost. It's something you have to have, but for most execs, all their love goes to marketing and sales and maybe production and all the money and the budgets go to those departments. But the C-suite is now feeling enough pain from resignations and talent shortages that they are looking at HR in a way they've never looked at them before. And I believe HR professionals have a chance to have a seat at the table that maybe they've never, ever had. So that's what I believe is happening today. Rob, I'd like to hear a little bit about your 17-year voyage. I call it a voyage, sailing around the world. What lessons did you learn from it? Well, as I said, I've always chosen happiness in my life. But when we started sailing, uh, I guess I'll back up just a little bit. I was a filmmaker. When I got interested in sailing, I pivoted my film business to make a bunch of sailing films so I could learn more and more about sailing. I'm very lucky that I had this kind of business. So I got paid to go make sailing movies all over the world. So I was learning the sailing world and learning how to be a better sailor while I was still doing my film business. And one of the things I did was film the America's Cup and a lot of these high-end yacht races. And so we would go to these yacht races that are people that are doing them are millionaires and, and multi-millionaires and billionaires. And the crew would deliver the yacht to the regatta and they would fly in in their private jet. And then we would get to go out sailing with them. And so I spent a lot of time with this, you know, 0.1% of our population. And then a few years later, we were sailing to third world countries and spending time with people in grass shacks. And I noticed that those two groups, the happiness levels weren't radically different. The wealthy people were a little happier, but not light years happier. And in the meantime, I was part of a third group, which was all these other itinerant sailors like myself who were just sailing around the world. And this was before the day of the uh, people that could work from anywhere because they were working on the internet. So the people that were out sailing were just out sailing to make themselves happy. We had no goal. People weren't working on their way. They weren't earning a living. They weren't racing around the world trying to accomplish anything. And so I was studying these three groups, these very wealthy people, the very poor people who were all pretty much the same happiness level. And then this group of sailors who had all made a conscious decision to base their lives on happiness, they were almost all happy, off the charts happy. 
And I had always had a happy life, but I was off the charts happier than what I had done before. And so I really got interested in this whole idea of what creates happiness. And then I went on to study it. I took the Yale University Happiness Studies course, and I've read about all the positive psychologists who've studied happiness for a number of years. And uh, so that's how I became interested in that. And I was still retired during the pandemic when I started hearing all these people that had resigned and saw how many people were so unhappy with their lives during the pandemic. So that's when I started this new career. I came out of retirement and started a career as a motivational speaker, speaking on happiness. And right away, I realized one way that I could make a big impact was speaking to HR groups and trying to get more happiness in the workplace. So that's what I do. So I'm quite intrigued by that. Isn't happiness from within? And if it is from within, how can you teach someone to be happy? It is from within for the most part, as you say. And what I teach is that it's a decision. It's not something that happens to you. As I said, when you check all the boxes in life, it's something that you decide you want in your life. And then there are skills I can teach people of how to be happier. I mean, like the simplest one, which I'm sure many people have heard of, is a gratitude journal. And I tell people toward the end of every day, take five minutes and write down five things that you're grateful for that happened that day. And even if it only takes you a minute to write them all down, you have to spend five minutes getting in touch with the feelings of that, why that makes you feel good, why that makes you feel grateful. And when you're feeling gratitude, you can't feel all those negative emotions like anxiety and anger and worry and, and self-recrimination and that. So, and you probably know it takes 30 days for us to create a habit. So I tell people if they do that for 30 days, what they're doing is they're brain is making a connection between actually sitting down to do it, opening their journal, grabbing their pen or doing it on their iPad or whatever, but their brain is making a connection between that action and the feeling good, which happens because their brain releases dopamine and serotonin and the endorphins that make them feel good. And so you do that for 30 days and on the 31st day, you don't have to force yourself to do it, you want to do it. So that's one little simple thing. I'm just putting together an online course because so much of what I do is for organizations and I'm getting individuals coming to me and saying, my company doesn't want to bring you in, but I want that stuff. So like I spoke to this group, 600 people a week ago, and a lot of people in the audience were in that position. They, they were HR people. It was an HR conference. So now I'm putting together an online course. And one of the things I'm sharing in the online course is something I do in my workshops. It's a very simple three-minute way to be happier, three minutes out of your day for busy executives or anybody busy in their work life. Take a three-minute break and do something like put your headphones in and listen to one of your favorite songs on your iPhone. Take three minutes and just look at some pictures from your last family vacation. So I have a whole series of these little three-minute happiness breaks that you can take during your day. And if you do that, that feeling good. If you stand up and dance at your desk for three minutes, your other workmates may think you're crazy, but when they see how happy you are, they'll start doing it. And that's the kind of thing that if a manager sets the tone that we can take three minutes to make the other three hours before and after that more productive, 
It's worth three minutes for sure. And you take a three minute happiness break in the morning and a three minute happiness break in the afternoon and five minutes to write your journal in the evening. That's 11 minutes out of your day that I promise will change your life. And I think uh, you having seen and visited third world countries and seeing firsthand how difficult life is in some areas of our world, I think you can only be grateful for what you have. You know, I, I remember being in Haiti and not having access to just something as simple as a functioning toilet. And so there's not a month that goes by where I don't think about that. And I'm actually grateful to have a functional bathroom in my home. As you said, it could be very simple. Absolutely. I mean, I tell people when they do their gratitude journal, it does not need to be anything big. It could be your favorite song came on the radio when you were driving home. You know, you wore your favorite outfit today. You, you got a parking spot near the front door or your kid did well on a school test. It could be small things or it could be something big. You hit a sales target or whatever. But it's just the point of feeling those feelings of gratitude. And we get what we focus on. So when you focus on you that, you'll get more of it and you change how you see the world. There are a number of traits. I, I have a nine part framework that I teach of habits and traits of happiness, but you develop some of those traits like optimism. So if you realize that you're pretty lucky because you have a toilet and so much of the world doesn't, that starts to make you more optimistic when you start looking at things that way. You look at what's good in my life. And the more of that you focus on, the more of it you get. Anything else you'd like to add before we end our episode today? Well, I would urge uh, HR people to think about creating real happiness for your employees because everything that an HR person does is designed to create employee happiness. But if they're better at being happy, you leverage all those things. So train your managers better, but train them specifically in how to focus on happiness. And then the other thing I would say is I urge HR people to try and take advantage of this giant opportunity before them to get a seat at the big table because the C-suite is paying attention now more than they ever have. So if they want to take your upcoming training, what do people do to get a hold of you? I will have a free mini course. It's the full day course I teach, but it's miniaturized. And uh, it's normally sells online for $15, but your listeners can get it for free if they just text the word happier, happy, H-A-P-P-I-E-R, to 33777. All right. Very, that's very kind of you. That's, that's a value for listening to your podcast. <laughs> Fair enough. Thank you for your generosity. Now, I can't end this episode about happiness without asking you, Rob, from 1 to 10. How happy are you? I am about a nine every single day. I spend all day, every day being grateful. That's my predominant emotional state is gratitude. Thank you, Rob, for your insights. It was really fun having you on the show. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Support for this show comes from Western Carolina University, a campus of the University of North Carolina system with the technical assistance of Kelly Minnis.